Hi, and welcome to Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. If you're wondering what you can do with your degree, you're in the right place. You'll learn top tips and strategies you can apply to build an impactful career and meaningful life. Your host, Dr. Marin Wood, will share evidence-based research so that you can job search the smart way. Hello and welcome back. I'm Dr. Marin Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Last week, I had the chance to speak to a couple of PhDs during some coaching calls who wanted to quit their academic jobs before having something else lined up. One of the people I spoke to told me that she was just over her postdoc. Like she just was done with bench science. And she knew from coming to our webinars that job searching was going to be a full-time job. And she knew that she didn't want to do a direct transition out of bench science into industry science. She knew that she wanted to do something quite different from what she's doing right now. She's just not really sure what. And through our online events and accessing our programming, she knew that career transition was going to take some time lots of networking, and maybe some retraining. So maybe some online courses or certifications or those kinds of things. So she went to her PI and she said, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to quit and I'm going to spend my time looking for a new job. And he told her he, she couldn't do that. He was like, no, you can't do that. And he told her that no one would hire her if she didn't have a job. And besides, he, he was convinced that finding a job wasn't a full-time thing, that she could do that in addition to her bench science. So she should stay in her postdoc was his argument, keep working for him, and you know, in the evenings and weekends, start applying for jobs. That's actually, I don't think, true. Um, I, from the research that we've done and from the interviews that we've done, we, we know that finding a, a job after your PhD can take quite a bit of time. Oftentimes, it requires contract work, lots of networking, and certification. So her instinct that she needed to be able to dedicate a significant amount of time to the job search and that spending time in the lab was just going to minimize the amount of time she had available for her career transition, I think was spot on. Now, you know, it was a bit self-serving, I think, to have the PI tell his postdoc she couldn't leave her position and that she should keep working for him. She's probably a fantastic employee, knee-deep in projects. And of course, he'd rather keep a great scientist in his lab for as long as possible. And then a day later, I made a post on Twitter encouraging PhDs to leave academia before they had everything figured out. Oftentimes, I see PhDs doing the opposite of what this uh, postdoc was doing. Too often, they remain in low-pay contingent positions, and they're worried that they have to have a job or everything figured out before they can leave academia, and it really delays their career transition. So I put this post out there just encouraging people to like, you know, hey, if you want to leave academia and you don't have anything figured out yet, like that's fine, you know, just take the leap, get started. And there are important conversations to have about like, how do you pay your bills once you walk away from an academic job? But the response from a faculty member on Twitter was really interesting because he pushed back and he was saying, you know, people shouldn't quit their PhDs before or their um, academic positions before they have a job lined up because no one will hire them if they don't have a job. And I, I found this response so interesting because, you know, practically speaking, everyone who's like most of the people who are job searching don't have jobs. Like that's the whole point. If you're in a job and you like it, 
chances are you're not actively seeking out new employment. You might say yes to a new opportunity that comes along, but you might not actively be job searching. So the vast majority of people that are actively job searching are unemployed um, or in positions that they don't like and are trying to get out of. So it sort of seems very weird that we have this assumption that employers won't hire us if we don't have a job. So I started wondering about this belief, this idea that if you don't have a job, then you're unemployable, like you have to have a job to get a job. And I wondered, why is the story the story that people are telling? And what evidence exists that not having a job would be a black mark on your resume? Because this keeps, keeps coming up. And so I was just like, why is this? I'm a cultural historian by training. So I'm like, where is the origins of the story? And what are the evidence? what is the evidence that exists that suggests that it's true or false? So that's actually what I want to talk about on the podcast today. What is the evidence that not having a job is a bad thing, a black mark on your resume? Is it a black mark on your resume? And then, you know, how do you navigate being unemployed, networking, and looking for a job? So let's talk about this and let's dig into some of the research. All right. So I started researching the topic of discrimination against the unemployed, which is a serious issue that national organizations have taken up and they're actually lobbying to pass legislation to prevent organizations from discriminating against the unemployed. So there is an issue and there is calls for legislation. So I wanted to understand this a little bit more, like what's happening that we need laws to prevent organizations from discriminating against the unemployed. And the calls for legislation originated after the last Great Recession. And if you do Google searches, on discrimination against underemployed people, you'll find a lot of news stories from around 2010, 2012 that focused on the challenges of the long-term unemployed. So these were people who had been unemployed for six or more months. Many of them were running out of uh, unemployment benefits and they were struggling to find work. There were two personas that were highlighted in these news stories. The first persona was a Uh, older, low-skilled, low-earning worker, someone who had maybe worked in retail at a big box store, who was struggling to find jobs. And the story often emphasized the fact the person was submitting applications and never hearing back. So they would have been unemployed for six or more months. They are submitting application documents for similar low-skilled, low-pay work, and they weren't hearing back. The second persona that appeared in these news stories were middle-aged, middle-income, highly skilled workers with 15 or more years of experience who'd been laid off through downsizing, and they were struggling to find employment. And the struggle was because so many of the jobs that were created after the Great Recession were entry-level positions, and there were very few senior positions that were being, being posted. So if you were the director of marketing, you were not going to be interviewed for a social media manager position. The company was assuming that you would be bored and that that would be a bad fit for somebody with so much experience. So those were the two personas that kept coming up. Um, And none of those personas really focused too much on the, you know, what PhDs would be, which would be highly skilled workers transitioning out of one industry, moving into another industry. So it's a very different kind of situation that most PhDs are in when they leave academia. So I started looking at research that was being done around the same time that was finding uh, discrimination against the long-term unemployed. 
And one of the studies was done by a PhD in economics at Northeastern University. And what he did was he created fake resumes and submitted submitted them to online job postings. So it was a national large online job board, and he created fake resumes. And some of the resumes had direct linear work experience. Some resumes had relevant industry experience, and some resumes had no related industry experience at all. Some resumes listed the person as presently employed, and some resumes listed the person as unemployed, and he varied the length of unemployment. All the resumes had generic male names. Um, We know that racism is a factor in the hiring process, so he was trying to uh, eliminate that as a bias. Um, All the men had bachelor's degrees, and all of them had six years of work experience in two jobs. So what he found was that people with direct linear work experience did better than people without industry experience for the first six months of unemployment. At seven months, that changed. So I'm just going to quote his, what he wrote in his study. Recently, non-employed applicants with no relevant experience are more likely to be invited for an interview than those with experience who have been un- non-employed for more than six months. So in other words, when comparing resumes, Hiring managers preferred people with shorter periods of unemployment, with relevant experience first, and then second, someone without relevant experience but who had not been unemployed for a while. What was also interesting about this study was that people who were employed uh, actually had fewer job job interviews than people who were unemployed for one and three months. So people who were unemployed for one to three months actually received more uh, interview requests than someone who was presently employed. So his research confirmed what other scholars had identified through their studies, which is that lengthy periods of unemployment can damage a candidate's chances of receiving an interview if all they are doing is submitting resumes to online job postings. Now, if you've attended any of Beyond Prof webinars or this podcast or accessed our programming, you'll know that generally submitting resumes to online job postings is a terrible way to do a job search for most people regardless of whether or not you have experience or not, whether you're employed or not, it's actually just a terrible job search strategy. In fact, for the study, uh, the uh, the author sent out 279 resumes and only 8.3% received requests for interviews or 23 interview requests in total. So let's just go over that again. Uh, The researcher sent 279 resumes to online job postings and received only 8.3% requests for interviews. So only 8.3% of all the resumes he submitted received requests for interviews, or 23 interviews in total. So when I was reading this, I was like, why isn't the headline from the study submitting resumes to online job postings is a terrible waste of time? That should be one of the main takeaways that that you have from the study. And what he was measuring was essentially the response of 20 random people who'd posted jobs on a major job board, so most likely large companies. Most studies, like the one I just referenced, who were looking at this long-term bias, measured how people read resumes and the perceptions of hiring managers and recruiters, mostly at large firms, in the absence of any other context or information. So the problem with these studies is that we know that most jobs are never actually posted. The estimates are about 70% of jobs, and we also know that 80% of jobs are are filled through networking referrals, which these studies don't uh, test at all as part of whether or not there's a bias against people who are long-term unemployed. So I think that these studies, for how interesting they are, 
don't necessarily tell the full story or a complete story about what's happening, what kind of discrimination uh, long-term unemployed people are experiencing, or whether or not being unemployed is in fact actually a black mark on your resume if you're doing your job search correct. So does it hinder your job search if you're doing the job search correctly? That's a very different question than what these studies that people were citing in the, in the news stories actually demonstrate or test for. And that would be an incredibly difficult thing to, um, to examine or explore. And if anyone's doing that kind of research, I'd be really interested to know if you're looking at you know, a holistic approach to the job search and whether or not long-term unemployment is a bias for people who are networking, um, volunteering, doing certifications, online programming, doing contract work, freelance work, that kind of stuff. Because that's actually how most PhDs are spending their time when they're job searching if they successfully make a career transition. So the proven job search process is not to submit resumes to online job postings. The proven job search process is be active, be building your skills, be doing contract or free work, freelance work, uh, be taking online courses, be proactive, network, uh, get referrals, and then people make the career transition. Sometimes it's taking people longer than six months. Um, in fact, a, a study that Beyond Prof did before COVID-19, we found that for the most part, uh, PhDs were finding jobs the three to six months with a sizable number actually finding jobs after the six-month mark. So I wanted to actually understand a little bit more about how long-term unemployment was affecting people's chances of landing positions if they were networking or doing referrals. And I didn't find a lot about that, but I did find a really interesting study in the Harvard Business Review um, written by Dr. Ofer Sharon, who is at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And in addition to his work as a sociologist, Dr. Sharon founded the Institute for Career Transition, which provides support to long-term unemployed people through coaching and counseling. Now, most of the people that he's researching or working with are white-collared workers who are between the ages of 40 and 65 with established careers who were let go during the Great Recession. And the challenge that so many of these people were facing were what I talked about before. They just were so experienced for most kinds of positions. Now, PhDs, you're going to be like, well, I have a lot of experience. You do, but you have experience in a different industry. PhDs tend to be over-credentialed and under-work experienced for the professional careers that they're applying to, which is a different kind of obstacle that we have to overcome. So what he's looking at is people who've been working for 20 years in management consulting who are struggling to get jobs in management consulting. So that's different from what's happening for most PhDs. What he actually found was that it wasn't necessarily a bias that people who were networking, who were long-term unemployed, weren't necessarily running or encountering bias in their networking circles, but they were internalizing their inability to find a job as a personal failure. And that was making it less likely for them to reach out. So again, there's this cultural perception that people should be employed, that being unemployed for six or more months is a bad thing, although there's no evidence that it should be a bad thing. There's no reason why somebody at the seventh month mark is somehow less skilled than someone at the four month mark, right? Like this isn't, you're, you're not being de-skilled so quickly, but there seems to be some sort of cultural bias and that job seekers are internalizing this bias so that when they are long-term unemployed, they actually begin to retreat and they stop networking and they're too embarrassed to reach out to people or colleagues who they spoke to maybe two or three months into their job search 
to say like, hey, I'm still, I'm still looking, I'm still not working, I'm still looking for a, a job. And so they internalize that personal shame and it makes it more difficult for them to actually reach out. So what he does through his organization is he actually brings job seekers together who've been unemployed for long periods of time uh, into groups. And that through the job searching as part of a group, people feel less alone. They're like, oh, I'm not a loser. Actually, other people are experiencing this um, challenge as well. And that they're able to connect other people in their group with referrals. So maybe I'm a project manager looking for a project manager job, but I actually have connections in marketing. And you're a marketer looking for a job in marketing, so I'm able to uh, refer you to people in my network, um, and you can refer me to people in your network. So through these groups, through basically going back to networking, but but by meeting new people who were in a similar challenging career job search, um, they were able to expand their network and be more successful in their job search. So that's a really interesting idea. And I I often recommend that people try to form a group with other PhDs who are in similar positions because they can offer you that kind of support that that these job seekers, these mid-career job seekers also needed. You too need that support. You need to be part of a group of PhDs who understand what you're going through um, and can provide you with referrals. So definitely if you're in a lab or a university, Reach out to your um, graduate career center or your postdoc office. Get connected with other people who are going through the career transition. If you're on social media, you know you can also do a tweet or uh, put a LinkedIn request and invite people to to job search with you. I mean, I would recommend keeping the group small, you know, ten to fifteen people, and making sure that you have a really diverse uh, talent. Uh, represented in those groups. So it shouldn't all just be biological life science PhDs who are trying to be move into pharmaceutical sales because you'll be competing with each other. So, you know, try and find a historian and an anthropologist and, uh, you know, an English literary major and other people who are looking for jobs kind of broadly because that will help you replicate what was shown to be so effective in this study um, that I read about in the Harvard Business Review. All right, so now we've kind of moved through this 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 research. So there is a cultural bias that exists. People internalize this bias. There is evidence that submitting job postings to online job boards um, is a terrible, terrible job search strategy. Um, there is evidence that in absence of context or networking, hiring managers prefer to hire people who have been employed, unemployed for th- you know, less than six months for reasons that are actually kind of unclear. There's clearly a bias. So now we're beginning to understand some of that legislation. But are you as a PhD in a terrible position if you quit your job? Your academic job, will, be, will it be a black mark on your resume? And so I think the answer is maybe, but probably not. Um, as I mentioned before, it's a really important, the proven job search strategy that we've identified at Beyond the Professoriate is not one of pure unemployment. It's not one where you have nothing to put on your, on your resume or your CV. Uh, we recently did a career panel uh, where we hosted three PhDs, actually they were all in the humanities and social sciences, about how they made their career transition as people who were um, they'd left their academic positions. They were no longer attached to universities. Uh, so they were technically unemployed. How did they actually go about the job search? Well, what they did is is that proven process. They freelanced. They did contract work. They signed up with a temp agency. And these kinds of flexible work experience give you the opportunities to build a non-academic network, build new skills, and yes, help you cover that unemployment gap. 
you're not full-time. It's not a full-time job, but you are working. You're busy doing something. And that's really important for those stories that you're telling when you're networking or what you're saying when you actually get interviewed for jobs. Other PhDs we've talked to work in the service industry. They'll work as personal shoppers or at Whole Foods or, you know, one of my friends worked at Lululemon. So just remember there is no shame in hard work. You do have to cover your bills and it's good to be active. It's good if you're networking and someone says, hey, what are you up to? And you say, oh, well, right now I'm I'm just doing a a freelance project for the local SBA. I'm uh, helping them... um, uh, look at their website and understanding where the pain point is so that they can, you know, improve uh, adoptions um, of animals. That's what I'm doing right now. Maybe that's pro bono. It doesn't matter. It's a good story. It shows you're busy. It shows you're engaged. It shows that you're working. And it can, it can cover that gap of like pure unemployment. So just remember that. Be doing something. Talk about those certifications. Talk about those courses. Talk about your volunteer work. And anything that leads directly to the you know, that's an example of the work you want to be doing next. You should highlight that. If you're doing like service industry work and it doesn't relate directly to the job you want, you don't necessarily need to talk about it. Talk about your volunteering, talk about your um, your side hustles or your other projects that you're working on. It's really about storytelling. Um, and sometimes these sub, these side hustles or this contract work can lead to full-time employment. So uh, Rafaela, who worked as a freelancer doing quality control assurance for a video game company, through that contract work, she was able to meet other people in the tech world who introduced her to UX research. And within about six to eight months, she was able to transition from this contract position of quality assurance and uh, and translation into a, a job that was a better alignment with her values, which is doing UX research. And she really loves her work. Uh, another PhD I know leveraged her skills doing English to Mandarin translations. She also worked as a freelancer doing editing and translation of academic work. Uh, and then she was able to move into a job in localization and translation. So she was doing something. She was busy. She was self-employed. She was, but but she was also just job searching. She was hustling. Another PhD I know had a double life as a comedian while he was in graduate school. And when he left academia, he actually started leveraging his improv background to do workshops as team building exercises for corporations. And it was part of networking, but he was also able to get paid. And through those workshops, he was able to have a conversation with the CEO of of a company who ended up hiring him. So it's really important to be busy. It's really important to have that strategy of not pure unemployment, building skills, engaging with your community, getting out there, building that network. So you got to pay your bills. It's important to develop skills and to network and to fill those gaps in your resume. And then when you're applying for jobs, you can just talk about this freelance or consulting work. It counts. It's employment even if it's not your full-time job or your career. The other piece of this is you got to network, network, network. These studies uh, that focus on submission of resumes tell us that it's really tough to get an interview when all you're doing is submitting resumes to online job postings. So don't do it. Identify organizations of interest and reach out to people who work there via LinkedIn. Get referrals, ask for help, get job leads, and people will help you. My sister-in-law uh, just re-entered the workforce. She's been um, raising children. She's been a stay-at-home mom for the past decade or more. Uh, and so we talked about what she was going to be able to do to re-enter the workforce. She's got a high school education, no college. And um, so we, she thought about people that she knew and organizations that she wanted to work for. And she decided she wanted to maybe go work at a car dealership. She called the guy who sold her her last vehicle. She knew him also through the gym. He brought her in for a conversation. She met the uh, the head manager, 
And uh, three weeks later, they called her and they offered her a part-time position. And so like she never even had to apply for a job. She didn't even need a resume. Through her network and people just knowing her skills and who she is, she was able to get that first opportunity. And no, it's not the job she wants, but it's that opportunity. It's her foot in the door and it's re-entry into the workforce. So that's how that kind of work will happen for you. And then the final piece is just make sure you tell a compelling story. At our upcoming conference, that's actually what we're going to focus on. We're going to help people learn how to write a compelling career transition story. Um, It's going to be the entire purpose, actually, of day one of the conference. So part of telling your career transition story is just there are plenty of legitimate reasons to be out of a job right now. So you can say things like, I've just wrapped up my graduate studies and I'm looking for job opportunities. I'm really excited about a career in UX research because it'll allow me to use my background in ethnographic studies to help people connect with information they need. Or, you know, I live in Denver and people just move here all the time. So if you just move to a new city, that's it. That's all you got to say. I just relocated to Denver and I'm excited about the tech scene here. I'm looking to leverage my skills to do technical writing. So why are you unemployed or job searching? What are you hoping to do next? Why are you excited about this new career field? Um, It doesn't matter if it's 100% true. You just got to believe it. And it has to just be mostly true. Uh, Now, if you've been let go this year from your academic job, you can mention that. But don't dwell on it. You can say something like, well, the university had to make cutbacks because of the recession. And unfortunately, my job was eliminated in the process. I see this as an opportunity for a career change. And what I loved about my time in academia was X, and what I'm hoping to do next is Y, because it'll allow me to do more of what I love. So that's the point. It's simple. It provides people with a story or context, and it moves the conversation to where you're going next, not where you've been. So that's actually your big task. If you're thinking about your job search, you're maybe without a full-time job, well, what's your story? Where are you going next? And how can you tell that story in a way that opens doors? We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. For more resources to help you launch your next great career, be sure to visit beyondprof.com and sign up for our free events. And remember, smart people work everywhere.